Last Sunday, I started a, um, a study that I want to continue today. And I mentioned last week that it was a very personal study for me. It's personal because of how God used it in my life through the course of this year, through the different things that uh, we have faced as a family and different things that we have faced as a church as well. God had really taught me a lot. And what we're going to study today, while it's not fully part of that process God used in teaching and instructing me, it was certainly part of the process. When we come to the third point, you're going to see that once again, that, that part gets really personal for me because that's something that God used specifically during this time. Last week, we talked about how too many of us are settling for a little when it comes to our relationship with God and what God wants to do in and through our lives when there is so much that God wants to do. We settle for so little. We settle for a little and we miss a lot. I think that's true when uh, things happen, when difficulties come, when uh, problems and sorrows happen in our lives that, that all of a sudden we have this, this crying out to God and God responds in time and His time and He responds to that and He meets that need and we embrace that so tightly that we we completely ignore what else God's wanting to do. And so in, instead of continuing to reach out to God, instead of continuing to search for God, we settle for this little bit when there's so much that God has in store. And so we talked about the fact that truly, as believers, as Christians, as children of God, we ought to have that desire to say, I want all God has for me. And the way to accomplish that, we found out last week, was through emptying ourselves of ourselves. I can't be in control of my life. I can't be the one calling the shots. I can't be the one that, that's using my desires and my will if God's going to be working through me. God doesn't allow there to be dual citizenship here or dual control of my life. It's not the way it works. And so I have to give it up. I have to empty myself of those rights. I have to empty myself of my, my uh, thoughts and my concern and my desire for happiness and joy to allow God to give me what is best in life. God amazingly knows more about that than I do. Now we looked at this process of emptying ourselves and found that to be quite complicated. So we tried to limit it down, narrow it down a little bit, the focus down to where we could understand it, where we could see it and say, okay, here's a step-by-step -step process to empty myself. It's not this huge thing that I've got to somehow piece together. It's actually quite simple when we get down to it. And what were those steps? You may remember that first of all, we have to humble ourselves before God. I have to confess how desperately dependent I am upon Him. And when I get into that state, when I come to this place of humility before God, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't bring about my welfare. I can't bring about uh, abundant life. That's something that comes from you. When I get to this place where I confess that to God, and something amazing begins to happen. God says, I resist the proud, but I lift up the humble. 
So what happens is when we begin the process of humbling ourselves, when we take that step to humble ourselves before God, God says, I'm going to invade your situation. I'm going to engage and I'm going to be at work. I'm going to help you. I'm going to exalt you in this situation. So then once I've taken the step of humility, then that next step is my understanding. If I desperately need God, I need to know Him, so I begin the seeking process. I seek God diligently. I seek Him out. I want to know everything I can know about Him. And so I begin searching His Word to find out what He says about Himself, what He says to me. I want to know God. That then brings us quite easily to the third step because once I begin seeking God and I begin studying His Word, then it begins to reveal in me those areas that aren't like Christ. It begins to show me my sinfulness. And so then I step into the confession side to where I'm confessing my sin to God. God, I see it. I know you've known it all along, but the more I've studied your word, the more I've realized that these little dark places exist in my life. And God, I understand that if you're going to control my life, if you're going to do everything you want to do in my life, that I've got to rid myself of this stuff. So God, I confess it as sin before you. Which then will quite easily move us to the fourth step. Once I've humbled myself, I begin the process of seeking God and confessing my sin. Then it's just a natural step to say, God, now I surrender myself to you. I've come to know that you're trustworthy. I've studied your word. I know that you're working for my good and your glory. And so I trust you. I, re I remove my right to say what's going to make me happy, to say what my will is, and I surrender myself to your will. Whatever you desire for my life, whatever you want for my life, that's what I want you to do in my life. I know that that may mean that you take me through some dark times, some, some difficult times, some problems, some hurts, some sorrows. I understand that. But I also understand that in that process, you're at work. And so I surrender myself to you. It's been my prayer that through this last week, many of us have already started in those steps. But now here's the situation. Too often when we get into those steps, we run across these times of defeat. I'm moving forward. I'm advancing for the glory of God. I'm taking the steps and something happens. Maybe it's sin in my life. Maybe that sin that Paul says so easily ensnares us has caught me once again, and I fail. Defeat. Or maybe it's a problem. Maybe there's circumstances in my life that are just overwhelming, and I can't seem to get beyond those, and I just stop. Maybe it causes me to stop completely. Maybe it causes me to back up and back away from my original plans of stepping through this process. But regardless of what happens, I have been defeated. Been defeated. Seems so easy, doesn't it? Seems so easy for the enemy to distract us, to defeat us. And why is that? I mean, here we have the Almighty God on our side versus an enemy that is no match for the Almighty God, and yet somehow the enemy continually defeats me. Why is that? Could it possibly be 
that I have a mindset of defeat? I mean, could it possibly be that I've already developed in my mind this thought, you know what, I've fallen over and over again. Why in the world would I think this time would be any different? I've tried to live right. I've tried to move forward, and I keep, I keep falling into sin. I keep having these difficulties. Why would I think this time would be any different? Could it be that I've got a defeated mindset? Could it be that I'm not engaging the things that would assist me in being victorious? I'm not doing the things that would help me be, be victorious. Could it be that I am doing the things that would certainly bring about defeat in my life? Is it possible that the defeat is not necessarily so much the enemy as it is what's going on in my head? And the answer is yes. Could just be that. So then how do I change that? Because I want all that God has for me. I want to live in victory. I want to change the defeated mindset and so, so that I can stay focused on God. And when I do fall, because I'm not perfect, I will fall. We'll have those setbacks. I can still move forward. How do I overcome this mindset of defeat? The Apostle Paul talks about that in Romans 12, verse 2. And I'm, I'm going to talk my way through this verse, so excuse me for not hitting it all at once. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be like this world. Don't, don't get to the place to where you look like the world around you, the people around you, this, this world government around you that is so controlled by the enemy. Don't get to the place to where you are so controlled by what the world dictates is, is in right now or what is, is responsible for you to do in order to be accepted. Don't be so controlled by the world that you look like them. But instead, he goes on to say, be transformed. Be completely changed. Be totally renovated. Be transformed. And how do we do that? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing, the making new of your mind. The changing the mindset. That's pretty incredible. But how do we do that? I want to give you three ways this morning that I think are, are very scriptural, line up very clearly with this matter of transformation, and will allow us to come to a place of complete transformation as we continually walk through these stages. Because once again, this isn't an overnight process. This isn't a one-and-done process. Oh, I did that. I don't have to do that anymore. I checked that off the list. No, it's not the way it works. This is a lifetime process. I am continually working through the steps. I'm continually working these things to keep the defeated mindset shut down. Because the enemy will be continually working to put that defeated mindset back in my head. So what do I do? Number one, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. Please write this down. If I want to defeat and change the defeated way of thinking, then I must invest in God's Word. Number one, I must invest in God's Word. After you write that down, if you would, put this little tag out beside it. 
Now, I think this is important to, to understanding the point. I've got to change what I'm putting into my mind. I've got to change what I'm putting into my mind. And now, here's the deal. If, uh, if I'm dumping social media into my mind all day long, and I'm hearing people talk around the office, around the school, and they're giving me their opinion, and all of this negative stuff, and all of this garbage is being dumped into my head. If I'm not careful, there will be no wonder I am continually defeated. Because all of that's been dumped into my mind. I've got to balance that out at some point. David said in Psalm 119, verse 11, Your word, God, have I hidden in my heart so that I won't sin against you. I put something else into my life besides the negative, besides the garbage, so that I can overcome what the world's telling me. Don't be conformed to the world. Overcome it through the renewing of your mind, making the mind new by putting something else into the thoughts. So if I'm spending 30 minutes in social media, all that's being dumped in, if I don't balance that out with something and eventually get to the place to where it becomes more and more dominant in my life, then the negative's going to control. The garbage is going to control. What the world has to offer is going to control. So what I've got to do, if I'm dumping that stuff in, then I've got to also be putting something in there that's going to be true, something in there that's going to be countering what I'm hearing on this side. I've got to balance it out. Or I'm going to continually be drawn to the negative. I'm going to continually be drawn to what the world has to offer. There's got to be a balance in effect. And what, what the goal is, is to say, okay, if I spend 30 minutes on social media, then I'm going to spend five minutes in God's Word. And again, we hope that that over time begins to grow. We hope that my time in the Word of God escalates, my time on social media begins to decline. I haven't necessarily seen the declining of social media in my life, even though I'm working through these steps. I haven't seen that to a huge extent yet. I have seen some. But I'm praying that that will begin to happen. Why? Because when that happens, when the Word of God becomes more and more influential and the social media and other things become less and less, I win in both places. The less time I spend in social media, the better off I am. The more time I spend in God's Word, the better off I am. I win both places here. So there must be a balancing, an investment of balance. But there must also be an investment of purpose in God's Word. So then I'm not saying, okay, I'm going to spend time in God's Word uh, because uh, it's kind of expected of me. You know, it, this to me is a spiritual uh, a checklist, and I've got to mark that one. I read three chapters today. Or I'm not going to spend time in God's Word so I can be more spiritual than everybody else. Now there's a purpose in this, and the purpose is that I want to know God. I want to know God. I want to learn about God. I want Him to use His Word to grow me and to develop me and equip me. And you can rest assured, when we balance this out and when we invest with purpose, you're going to begin to see transformation happen in your life. You're all of a sudden going to be engaging with someone and they're dumping garbage and you're going to have the truth pop into your head that says, wait a minute, you know what? That's not right. It's not right. 
you're going to see transformation take place in your life when we invest in God's Word, number one. Number two, if I want to change the defeated way of thinking, then I've got to intervene in people's lives. I've got to intervene in people's lives. I've got to engage other people. Now, now here's what I'm talking about. Instead of me focusing on my problems, instead of me focusing on the difficulties in my life, the sorrows, the hurts, instead of focusing on my desires, my wants, my needs, I begin to view other people as more important than I am. Therefore, I begin to intervene and invest in their lives. I begin to think through what's happening in their lives. And because I've considered them more important than me, then what happens to them both here and in eternity becomes very significant for me. Therefore, I'm going to be part of their lives. The Apostle Paul talks about that, Philippians 2, 3. He said, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Make others be more important. So then I take my sight off of my problems and I begin to focus on others. All of a sudden, transformation begins to take place. Why? Because I'm not so self-consumed. I'm not so inward in my thoughts. I'm I'm concerned about other people. It's taking me out of that shell. So how do you intervene in people's lives? Three ways I thought of. First of all, I can intervene through prayer. I can be praying for people I know, for people I don't know, for people I'm just slightly acquainted with. I can be praying for people I like, for people I don't like, for people I don't know if I like or not. I can make it a priority to be praying that God will bless their lives. To, to make it a priority to pray that God will draw them to himself. If they're not saved, that they'll come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. To pray for those who are part of the family of God. To pray that God will draw them even closer to him. If they're close to him, that they'll get even closer. If they, if they strayed away from him, that they'll come back. To invest time, to intervene in their lives through prayer makes a big difference and it becomes so important as we move down this list that I've I've intervened in their life through prayer the second part is not only do I intervene in prayer but I intervene in lifestyle now hear me out on this because I know that 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 gets into some iffy territory with some people but, but allow me to explain what I mean what I want is for those around me to see what a real Christian looks like I don't want them to keep in their mind that what they hear about on television and news media and the way they describe Christians is the way Christians really are. I don't want them to think that the guy down the hall from them at work that's so bitter and angry and spewing out venom and yet claims to be a Christian, I don't want them to think that that's what a Christian really is. What I want them to see is that, that I'm not perfect and I don't claim to be that I don't look down my nose and condemn them but that I love them unconditionally 
I want them to see that in my life. I want them to understand that Christian, that a Christian is someone who loves them and they can see that love. And it's not based upon what they can get from them. It's not based upon what they have to take from them. It's based upon the love that God has for us. God, who loved us and gave himself for us. We, in turn, live that out before them. We let them see what a true Christian is. So I intervene in their life through my lifestyle. That also is important as we come now to this third step. And that is that I intervene through witness. I intervene through a verbal witness. The prayer part is so important because God is preparing the heart. As I'm praying earnestly for these that are around me, God is working in their lives and preparing their lives for me to get to this place of a verbal witness. As I'm living out my life before them, I'm showing them love to where all of a sudden they, they have a desire to hear what I have to say. There's an old saying, I've used it hundreds of times, people don't, know, don't care what you know until they know that you care. It's true. People don't really care what you know until, first of all, they know that you care about them. And so if we want to have an opportunity to share Christ, to share little seeds of faith into their lives, to invite them to church, if we want to have that opportunity, then we've got to intervene in their lives through prayer, through lifestyle, and then speak up and share Christ. And amazingly, as we do these things, the little side note for this one, if you want to write it out beside if you haven't already, intervening in people's lives means that I've got to change my mind about what's, what I consider to be important. I've got to change my mind about what I consider to be important. That's the little tag out beside point number two. I've got to change my mind about what I consider to be important important and as I do that I will be able to see transformation taking place I will all of a sudden begin to think differently because I'm not focusing on myself I'm emptying myself in the process well there's one more number three and this as I said is the one that has been really personal for me it's the one where God has really worked in my life to uh, to bring about a new understanding of things. And I'm praying that it will affect you in the same way. Number three is that I've got to interpret life differently. I've got to interpret life differently if I want to change the defeated mindset. And what do I mean by that? Let me walk through this with you. Let me give you the little tag out beside it. I've got to change what I'm thinking about my circumstances. I've got to change what I'm thinking about my circumstances. Okay, here's what I mean. Part of renewing the mind is that I change my way of thinking. If I continue to think, I'm going to be defeated. There, I've tried this a hundred times before, and I'm going to try it again, but I know I'm going to fail. At some point, we get to the place where we just say, there's no use even trying anymore. Then the path is pretty well set. It's pretty well determined. I'm not really going to deviate from that because I've already set my mind to say, here's what's going to happen. But if I can begin the process of training my brain to think differently, then all of a sudden there's hope on the horizon. 
There's hope out there that maybe, maybe I will be victorious this time. Maybe I will have those setbacks, but I'll get up and get going because my focus isn't on the problems. My focus is on God. I change the thinking. Now, here's an example. Instead of looking at the bad things that are happening in my life and saying, the enemy's trying to destroy me. I mean, look, at he's always after me. He's trying to bring me down then maybe I begin to adapt the way I think about it. Now, does that mean that that's a negative or, or an incorrect statement about the enemy? No. Jesus in John 10, 10 said, The enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's in the destruction business. So we know that that's not a false statement. The devil wants to destroy us. Plain and simple. If you say that, you're not lying. Nothing wrong with saying it. But I think it might be better for us to focus not on the first part of that verse, but instead to change our focus to the second part of the verse. And what is that? Jesus said, let me read the full verse, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he says, here's one side, but I want to show you my side. He said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I've come to counter what the enemy wants to do. So then the enemy is at work in my life trying to destroy. And he's using every situation, every circumstance that I go through, good, bad, and ugly. He's using them all to bring destruction. And if I want to, I can focus on what he's doing. And I can say the enemy's trying to destroy me. I'll be absolutely right in saying that. I'll be justified according to the Word of God. That's what the enemy does. I can focus on that if I want to, or I can stop and say, but wait a minute. God has promised me that he's working for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. God is working for my good. So that even in these dark, difficult, sorrowful situations... Even in the hurt and the pain that I'm facing right now, God is up to something in my life that is incredible. And so instead of looking at it with horror and, and, and concern, I begin to look at it with enthusiasm, with anticipation. God, this is horrible that I'm going through. I, I, it's so overwhelming. I don't know how I can ever get out. It's so bad. That I know you must have something incredible in mind. I, I know that you're working for my good and for your glory. And so this situation is so bad. It is so horrible that I know you must be up to something pretty incredible. And I can't wait to see what that is. Now you talk about transformation. You talk about overcoming failure, overcoming defeat. You talk about being able to get back up after a defeat and move forward again for the glory of God. If I'm focusing on what the enemy's doing, it's got a tendency to shut me down. But if I'll change my thought and say, but wait, God is up to something here. 
through the same situation. The enemy's trying to destroy me, but God is working for my good. The exact same situation. And if I will focus on what God is up to in that situation, it will transform my life. And it will bring about victory in my life because now there's an anticipation that out of this pain and out of this suffering, something good is about to happen. This past week, Monday and Wednesday, I had the privilege of working with our young adult pastor, Van Ferguson, in Family Time Devotions. And when I asked him to come, Mickey couldn't, couldn't uh, do it last week. And so when I asked Van if he would come and be part of it, um, I, said, I said, what are you studying right now that we could bring in and, and help other people see through that experience, through that time you've already spent studying? And he said, well, I'm working with a group of guys right now through the life of Joseph. And I think it would be a good study. I said, that's perfect. I'd already written this study out uh, several weeks back, but it tied in so incredibly well with, uh, with this study. Here was a guy, a young teenager, that seemed to never get down, never get distracted, never get discouraged. I'm not saying he never did. I'm sure there were times of discouragement in his life. I'm sure there were times when he just wondered what in the world is going on. But it seems in reading the scripture that he always focused on something other than his difficulty. Uh, he had difficulties, right? If you know the story, you know that this was a guy who had a bunch of older brothers that hated him. Hated him to the point that they wanted to kill him. But when, when they decided that maybe there was a better way, they let him off easy by just selling him into slavery. You know, there were times in childhood when my brothers and I would get into little tiffs. Let's just be real. We got into fights. But there was a, never a question in my mind that they loved me. There was never a question in my mind that... that uh, Maybe somewhere deep-seated in the back of their thoughts, they wanted to kill me. I never worried about that. Joseph had brothers that wanted to kill him. Instead, they sold him into slavery. He's hauled off to a country where he probably doesn't even speak the language. And he's sold into slavery, sold to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife lies about him, and eventually Potiphar takes him and throws him into the dungeon, into prison. He's there for years. But amazingly, Joseph continues to focus on the positive instead of the negative. He didn't dwell on what his brothers had done to him. I, I believe that I might have been thinking the whole time, maybe I'll get a chance to see those guys again. They're getting older now. I'm still pretty young. I'll take them one at a time. <laughs> Maybe Joseph could have been like me and thought, you know, God has now elevated me out of prison. I'm second in command over all of Egypt. I'm going to go find Potiphar and his wife, and I'm going to set the record straight. 
Now, I'm just human enough that that would have been on my mind. Joseph didn't seem to, to spend his time thinking about what his brothers had done. And the reason I believe that is because when eventually his brothers stood before him, they came for food and they stood before him, and eventually Joseph unveiled his, who he was, he let them know who he was, they were petrified, scared to death. He's going to kill us. Got every human right to kill us. He, he's got the ability, second in command, no one except Pharaoh can intervene for us, and Pharaoh doesn't even know we're alive. No one's going to step in and say, don't touch them. <laughs> no one has the authority or the rights to do that. We're dead. And if, if not dead, the very best we can hope for is that he's going to make us slaves here in Egypt. And yet Joseph looked at him and he said, guys, what you meant as evil, and there's no other way to describe it. I mean, it's not that you say, well, I think if I sold him into slavery, it would, make, it would be better for him. He would live a better life as a slave. <clears throat> he wouldn't have to be around the family. He could go on his own. And No, it was evil, pure evil. And so Joseph said, what you intended for evil, God's made it good. God used it for good. Yes, the enemy was working. The enemy was trying to bring destruction. But God was working in that exact same situation to bring about what was good. just wonder if we change the way we thought about our circumstances how would we be transformed in our day to day living how would it change our thinking how would it revolutionize the way we face difficulties and problems we can overcome defeat but in order to overcome defeat, we've got to invest in God's Word. We've got, to in, we've got to intervene in people's lives. And we've got to interpret life differently. It is possible. May God bless and use us this week to make a difference.